Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today on the Friday broadcast. And I want you to know that God's Word is filled with wisdom and there's an awful lot of value of wisdom. You know, I picked up a devotional book called Daily Strength for Men. It's a 365-day devotional. And I just wanted to share part of this devotional. If you're looking for a good devotional, this might be something that would be a great Christmas gift for the man in your life. And uh, this devotional book is written by Chris Bollinger, B-O-L-I-N-G-E-R, Broad Street Publications, a 365-day devotional, Daily Strength for Men. And so on August 11th, he writes, God wants to hear your prayers. In the verses from Proverbs chapter 2, verse number 6, the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now, we're looking at the seven deadly sins from the book of Proverbs, the wisdom book. There is value in knowing God's wisdom for your life. The author continues, in Philippians, Paul encourages us to, in everything, by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Then in 1 Thessalonians, he tells us to pray without ceasing. And in Matthew, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. Matthew 7, 7. So what should we pray for? Now, if you could make one request to God, and you knew that God would grant that request, then what would you request? What would you ask for? Well, Solomon became the king of Israel when David died, wanting to follow his father's footsteps of loving and following God. Solomon went to Gibeon to offer a sacrifice. God appeared to Solomon in a dream and said that he would grant Solomon one request. Now here is Solomon's response. You have shown great restraint and love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made me your servant, king, in place of David, my father. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. Oh, there are great people, too many to be numbered or counted or multiplied. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your people? You see, Solomon prayed for wisdom, and God gave it to him. And because God was so pleased with Solomon's request, God also gave Solomon riches and honor and made a promise that if Solomon kept God's commandments, then he would live a long, prosperous life. You see, true wisdom comes from God. The closer we are to God, the wiser we become. Here are some wonderful passages to keep in mind when you look at this subject of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. My son, if you accept my words, and if you store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, 
If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk blameless, for he guards the course of the just, and he protects the ways of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right, what is just, what is fair, and every good path. Well, as I've just read this passage, here are some questions I want to ask you. Questions for application, questions for reflection. How much do you prize wisdom? Where is it on your list of things that you most desire from God? Let me ask you another question. Do people consider you wise? If not, why not? Or if they do, why do they consider you wise? And let me ask you a third question. How would you compare your level of wisdom from where it was five years ago? Is it about the same? Or have you grown exponentially in your wisdom over the past five years? I promise you, if you are growing exponentially in your wisdom, it's because you are growing exponentially in your knowledge of God's Word and the application of God's Word. You see, we live in this age of information where facts and figures are just a tap away, just a click away. Information is increasing exponentially. But how about wisdom? How can you get closer to God in this next year, in this next month? Well, one of the ways that you can do it is avoiding these seven deadly sins that we've been talking about the last couple of days. The first one being the sin of pride. Augustine called pride the first of all sins. It is the sin that caused Satan to rebel and caused a third of the angels to be kicked out of heaven. The sin of pride is what introduced sin into the human race. The second deadly sin that we covered was the sin of envy. That feeling negatively toward another person because they have what you want or because they can do something that you want to do. You see, envy is different from jealousy. Envy has its eyes glaring at a person who has received the blessing that he wishes to have. Jealousy are eyes that are lasered on a particular material blessing generally. And we think about envy. Envy is one of those sins that is the least fun of these seven sins that we're covering. And then we looked at the third deadly sin, and that was the sin of wrath. A wrath is anger that is out of control. It's possible to be angry and to keep your feelings and emotions in check, but wrath gets anger out of control. Uh, We looked at the dangers of wrath. We looked at a lot of good verses that help us navigate through this ability of ours to overcome wrath. It was the psalmist who said, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. And then we looked at number four. The fourth deadly sin, laziness or sloth. You know, slothful people are lazy people. Now, I don't think most people listening to this broadcast 
struggle with laziness as far as getting up and going to work every day and providing for their families and and getting things done. I think when we're looking at this dangerous sin of slothfulness, it's more along the lines of the spiritual realm. Are you spiritually lazy? Are you thinking, well, I'm going to do this tomorrow, what I should be doing today? Are you not spending time in God's Word? Are you not keeping close accounts with the sins in your life? Are you being lazy when it comes to the spiritual disciplines? In the spiritual discipline of giving or spending time with the Lord, attending church, serving church, overcoming the shortcomings in your life. You see, the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 6, 9 through 11, How long will you lay there, you sluggard? Get up from your sleep. And he could be speaking about spiritually waking up. He says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest, and poverty will come to you like a thief and scarcely like an armed man. You see, this bit of ancient wisdom is arguably one of the most important messages for us spiritually seeking individuals who just want to have a relationship with the Lord and are willing to make the sacrifice necessary. A later verse, kind of probably in that same collection of verses, makes the point even more directly. Proverbs 18, 9, one who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. Listen, if you're not involved spiritually growing your life, you are brother to one who is destroying your life spiritually. And then we talk about greed. Jesus warns us that greed is something that should be avoided. He says, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has abundance does life consist of his possessions. Even those who are rich is what Jesus is saying. Their life doesn't consist of their possessions. Now, we know this is true when a person gets to the end of their life. You know, as a pastor, I'm with people a lot as they get to the closing moments of their life. You know, I've never had anybody say to me, hey, pastor, uh, would you go out and uh, would you go get my golf clubs so I can have them? I want to have my golf clubs in the bed with me as I transition uh, to heaven. I've never had that happen. I've never had anybody says, hey, would you go get the keys to my car? I just want to hold on to those keys before I die because I'm going to be separated from my car and I love my car so much, right? And uh, I can't believe I'm going to be separated from my car. I've never had that happen. When people are at the end of their life, things are not the most important things to them. People are. They always say, hey, can you bring my wife? Can you get my kids? Can you get my friends? I want to see some people that my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'd like to see them before I pass. You see, Jesus uses a strong word for greed. It's covetousness. It's this aggressive desire for an advantage because you have things. And then we talked not only about the sin of greed, but today we're going to be talking about gluttony. You know, gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins in a collection of the seven sins that people identify with, and it can become a big stumbling block in our lives. These seven sins are called deadly in part because of the consuming and and the destructive potential that they have. Now, gluttony is the sin associated with an unhealthy indulgence in material delights, usually food, right? I got to admit to you, 
I don't preach too many sermons on gluttony because it kind of hits too close to home. But recently, I have tried to make some changes, realizing that this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the problem that we have as Christians, right? We don't drink, smoke, chew, or run with the girls who do, but we do like the buffets, right? We almost have gotten to the point that we've said, okay, this is the one thing that we as Christians can do. And so a lot of things that we do revolve around food, right? So it's easy for us to get caught up into this sin of gluttony. I mean, after all, at weddings, we have a celebration with a reception, lots of food. Somebody dies, we have a reception, lots of food. We get together with a small group, lots of fellowship, and lots of food, right? We have food before we go to church. We have the cafe, right? And then after church, we go and we get something to eat. We celebrate by eating. We drown our sorrows by eating. So gluttony is associated sin with an unhealthy indulgence in food. Now, the problem is is you got to eat, right? So eating, it's not like you can say, I'm going to get rid of food, right? You can do that with certain things that you can be addicted to. Unfortunately, you can't do that with food. So eating to excess, but it can also include drinking in excess, screen time, lustful thoughts, behaviors, similar obsessions with material pleasures. It's creating an idol out of something material, often consumable. So as we look at this subject of gluttony, we're living in a day and age where there is an exponential explosion of information. The information age is mind-boggling. So we could actually have information gluttony. In 2019, for example, did you know a single minute on the internet saw the transmission of 188 million emails. Okay, one single minute on the internet, that's how many transmissions of emails were occupying during one single minute. At that same minute, there were 18.1 million text messages sent. In that same minute, there was 4.5 million videos viewed on YouTube. In 2020, there was 40 times more bytes of data on the internet than there were in the previous study in 2019, just one year later. Now, some estimates suggest that by 2025, which is only two years, less than two years away, that by 2025, that we will be able to have enough data passed through the internet. By 2025, it will be 463 exabytes of data will be created every day online. Now, to put that in perspective, that is the equivalent of 212 billion DVDs per day. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't even know what an exabyte is. Well, maybe to help us understand it, and again, this is about information gluttony, maybe to understand it, we consider this. Five exabytes is equivalent to all the words that have ever been spoken by humans since the beginning of time. In other words, go back to Adam and Eve, every word that has been spoken by every person up to this point, that would be five exabytes. In 2025, 
that amount of data would be created every 15 minutes. Now, here's the craziest thing. All of this is in our pockets, just a few clicks away. Our phones are now encyclopedias, libraries, universities, but as convenient as it is to have such access. Got to ask the question, do I have a glut of information? Am I overwhelming myself, not just with food, but with information? You know why the enemy wants us to be overwhelmed with information? It's because we become desensitized and we become unable to process. It's like that line looking at a four-legged chair. He cannot focus on four legs of the chair, so he becomes very docile. He can't attack. The same is true when it comes to being able to refute and defeat the enemy. We are so confused with all the information that's coming our way, we don't know what truth is. We don't know what falsehood is. A lot of things appear true that are not true. And we are inundated with this information. As I think about the sin of gluttony, maybe your sin is not overeating. Maybe your sin is being consumed with social media, consumed with your Facebook or your Instagram or whatever social media tool that you use. You have become addicted to it. It has desensitized you to your surroundings. It has desensitized you to the Lord speaking to you. When I think about how this sin of gluttony is such a dangerous sin, we can't forget about eating because. I think that's the original context of this sin of gluttony. As we even look at eating, you know, according to the USDA, between the ages of 20 and 50, the average person spends about 28,000 hours eating. That's over 1,160 days. Our daily schedules are often planned around mealtimes. Business deals are cut among people who do lunch together. Foods have been adapted to every aspect of our popular culture. I mean, we have TV dinners, microwave dinners, car drives up windows, and and ball game tailgate parties. You know, each day, anywhere from 45 to 125 million Americans are on a diet. Now, of course, that varies. I imagine right after the holidays, that number is going to spike. The number of Americans who will be on a diet right now, it's it's low because everybody's saying, well, we're in the middle of the holidays. I can't possibly be on a diet right now. At the time that um, the book was published, Fast Food Nation in 2021, the author of that book stated that the annual health care cost in the United States stemming from obesity approximately $240 billion. Well, Americans spend only $35 billion on weight loss programs and diet products. When I think about the health of our people, the sin of gluttony, whether it be gluttony with media, gluttony with food, the Bible is very clear that if we overindulge, it is a sin. And I got to admit to you, when it comes to eating, That has been one of my struggles, right? That's where I find comfort. That's where I find, uh, you know, in my times of pain, that's where I celebrate. So I've asked the Lord to change my perspective about food. 
to eat for the nutrition involved and to eat to sustain, but never to have food to be like the end of all in my life. Never to use food as an element of reduction of my stress, realizing that God gives us all things to enjoy, but nothing to be addicted to except to Him. Now, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Do not be idlers as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and to go into indulge into revelry. Now, if you know where Paul is going in this particular passage, we discover that the Corinthian believers, one of the shortcomings that they had is that they ate and drank and they indulged in, and they were even getting to the point where it was affecting their ability to worship. They had even corrupted their communion services because they turned something sacred, the Lord's table, into a feast. And they were actually coming to church drunk, and then we were taken of the Lord's table. And Paul says, of this matter, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it goes into a deeper detail on that. So we must control this issue of gluttony. 1 Corinthians 15, 32 says, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than mere human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die. So here Paul points out the fact that many people, instead of dealing with the situation they find themselves in, uh, instead of dealing with conviction, instead of dealing with the Lord trying to speak with them, they deaden themselves to that by eating and drinking in excess. They throw up their hands and say, what is the use? We're going to die tomorrow anyway. When you look at the leaders of the church, when you look at the Old Testament elders in Deuteronomy, Moses said, tell the elders that the sons of our stubborn and rebellious leaders, they're not going to obey us. Why don't they obey them? Because they were gluttons and they were drunkards. In other words, the material food, the alcohol, was more important than obeying. You see, throughout Scripture, we see gluttony being something that is very dangerous. It is lusting after food. Now, this sin goes way back to the book of Genesis. Remember when Adam and Eve were being tempted? Eve saw that the fruit of the tree was good. It was pleasing to the eye. It was also desirable in gaining wisdom. So she took some of it, and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was there with her, and he ate it. She gave into the look and the desire of that food. Paul says to the Philippian believers, their destiny is destruction. Why? Why are they going to be destroyed? Because their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Well, I've got one last sin to cover, and I'm sorry my time is out, but this one is a sin of lust. C.S. Lewis talks about a dog and a subject of lust. He says people sometimes think that Christianity is putting us in a moral straitjacket, but then he uses the illustration of a dog. 
Suppose you are taking a dog on a leash through a turnstile and going past a post. You know what happens. He usually goes one side of the post, you go the other. He tries to go on the wrong side and he gets his head looped and around the post. And, and what do you have to do is you have to stop and you got to pull him back. You pull him back because you want him to be able to go around in order to go forward, to avoid something, to go forward. He wants exactly the same thing, namely to go forward. For that very reason, he resists your pullback. Or if he is an obedient dog, yields to it reluctantly as a master of duty, which seems to him to be quite in opposition to his own will. Though in fact, it is only by yielding to you that he will ever succeed in getting where he wants. You see, the dog believes a lie that only one way forward, the only way to get what it wants is to push ahead. Lewis, the dog owner, affirms the longing of the dog to go forward, but he must pull the dog back in order for it to actually make progress. So, where do you need to pull back? Ask for forgiveness and redirection. God will do it for you, I promise. Thank you for joining me today. Have a great weekend. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.